Thank you for joining us today and a big thank you to our show sponsor, Amazing Jane Activewear, recommended as best leggings for running by Women's Fitness Magazine. Karen and I have been trialing their designs for a few months and we can happily recommend them. All designs are cut to skim, not cling, giving you confidence to look and feel great and focus on performance. So if you'd like to try Amazing Jane Activewear, please use our listeners special discount code RHH10 for 10% off all purchases at amazingjane.com. Amazing Jane ship around the world, so please check their website for details. Today we're talking about hydration and exercise performance. We'll be looking at the current science, the impact on performance, and how you may maintain appropriate hydration for your running. Hello and welcome to She Runs, Eats, Performs, the podcast for female runners of all abilities. Please join Karen Campbell and Aileen Smith, nutritionist friends and runners, who are here to help you translate sports nutritional science into easy to apply tips and plans, helping you enjoy peak running performance. And especially adding in the female factors every woman needs to know to be a healthy runner. The suggestions we make during this episode are for a guidance and advice only, and are not a substitute for medical advice or treatment. If you have any concerns regarding your health, please contact your healthcare professional for advice as soon as possible. If you'd like help from Karen and Ailey to design a personalized sports nutrition plan for your running, please contact them at Runners Health Hub. everyone welcome back I'm Aileen and I'm here once again with Karen hi Karen how are you today yes no I'm good thanks Aileen looking forward to um our our next episode and having our discussion but um I just want to add in here before we start that Bella is drifting around the room in and out of the room and she's being a little bit vocal at the moment so everybody if you hear my dog in the background I'm apologizing in advance but hopefully she's gone and settled down and we won't hear from her so um fingers crossed Aileen yeah well she's normally very good so we'll let her off if she wants to be a little bit disruptive today shall we okay Okay. <laughs> but hopefully not <laughs> Okay, so um, before we start uh, discussing our topic today, which is all about hydration and exercise, um, the question I've got for you this morning, Karen, is have you ever experienced the effects of dehydration, um, say, after a, a marathon or one of your ultras? Well, thankfully, actually, really, no. Um, certainly not to, to any extent that I've required any medical assistance. I certainly have seen people at the end of these events having to go into tents and 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 be sort of supported medically. But thankfully, I haven't um, had it to that degree. I, I think I've, I've certainly finished uh, an endurance race feeling underhydrated. However, I, I, th- I think that's a bit different to actually that that medical or clinical dehydration Um, but I have to say it did mean that I had I had a headache really for most of the day and I could never really drink enough to satiate that thirst that I had Um, and and also I felt nauseous and and the the drinking would help but then I'd start to feel sick again afterwards which really prevented me from eating and I needed to eat at that time so it was a difficult it was a difficult time but um but I didn't ever go into to, to true dehydration where it, it, it makes you incredibly ill. And, and my sort of symptoms lasted a few hours. I think maybe I had a bit of a nap. And then um, by the following day, I felt absolutely fine again. So um, so I would say probably underhydrated rather than dehydrated. How about you, Aileen? Have you ever suffered from um, dehydration? And uh, no, I, I'm not sure that I ever have. I think I'm pretty conscious of my hydration needs. So I'm usually quite prepared. I'm quite heat sensitive. So if I think it's going to be a hot day, I always make sure I've got plenty of water with me. And, um, you know, looking back, probably as a beginner runner, I was maybe overhydrated because I was a bit obsessed about making sure I had enough water. Um, and I think, you know, we'll talk about this later on, I'm sure. But, you know, overhydration can be dangerous um as well as giving you the 
sort of um, the problem of having to stop for extra toilet stops, which can be very distracting, um, mm. particularly if you're in a race. Yeah. So, um, so, so yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's never been a dehydration issue for me, but it's going to be interesting to talk about that because I think that, you know, as we've said many times before, hydration is one of the limiting factors when it comes to running performance. So getting it right um, is really going to be helpful. So um, so moving on to introduce the topic for today, as I said earlier, we're going to be discussing hydration and um, hydration's relevance to exercise performance. Um, and we have touched on this subject a couple of times before, um, particularly in episode one, where we talk about personalized sports nutrition for female runners. And then in more detail in episode five, um, we talked about how to make sure hydration doesn't limit your running performance. So this is really taking our conversation to a new um, level and a different angle. So uh, hopefully it'll complement the information that we've already um, shared with everybody. So the, the three things that we're going to talk about today is really based on the fact that um, the science around hydration and sports performance is continually evolving. So today, what we'd like to do is outline the current scientific knowledge on hydration and exercise performance. Um, we're going to delve into the impact of hydration status on exercise performance. And finally, consider what you can do to maintain appropriate hydration for your running, because this is um, going to be pretty crucial for all of us. So, Karen, um, I suppose many people might be thinking there's already a great deal of information out there regarding hydration status and exercise performance. So uh, why do you think we need this episode? What what would be your response to that question? Yeah, I would say they're absolutely correct, um, Aileen. There is a lot of scientific literature in the public domain um, about hydration, um, hydration status and performance, especially because it is viewed as one of the limiting factors in, in attaining that peak performance like you just mentioned. But, you know, despite all the information that there is out there, there is still controversy and a great deal of debate amongst the scientists on the true effect of hypo or dehydration on performance itself. Now, as we go through this, I'll probably speak about hypohydration and dehydration, but basically meaning the same things. I think the slight variation and the true meaning of each, but I'm going to use them um, sort of collectively. Um, and so some studies suggest it's um, has a significant effect, whereas others suggest that um, it has limited effect. Uh, but clearly that would depend on the degree of dehydration. If you get into severe, severe de dehydration, absolutely, it's going to have an effect on your general health as well as your performance. So so the, 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 the studies into performance is looking at the degree of dehydration. And a lot of the debate that uh, certainly I, I read about in, in the studies tends to focus on the study methodologies, because as you can imagine, it's, it is really difficult to carry out any blinded studies. So blinded being where the participants are unaware of what they're being given. And that's that's sort of the the principal way of, of doing um, good good scientific studies but it's really difficult to do that for hydration studies um so so this has begged the question is it perceived hypo or dehydration that is part of of the issue yeah so what you're saying really karen is that the researchers are trying to be a bit more robust in their methodologies to try and overcome this issue Yes, yeah, they are exactly. And there have been sort of a few small studies trying to address this issue. And there was one carried out in um, 2019 from Loughborough University. And that included um, the participants um, ingesting water orally whilst additional water was being infused into the stomach via a, a gastric feeding tube and that was to either replace sweat loss or to induce a hypohydration state um sort of reducing that their body mass the water mass to 2.5 percent of body mass now it was a really small study there were only seven 
participants um, involved in this, which I have to say, I don't think is really surprising because it, it just sounds really invasive. But I think it also highlights why historically it has been um, really difficult to get definitive answers from studies about hydration. Yeah, I mean, that does sound rather extreme, I must say. Um, but it sounds from what you're saying that, you know, researchers are looking at the way studies are carried out and that might be changing. And although some of the methods sound pretty uncomfortable for the participants, um, hopefully, um, you know, we're going to move forward in that and um, that will help. So what what do you think the, you know, the general current scientific thinking is around the importance of hydration and exercise, Karen? Yeah, I think the science tends to centre around um, the endurance sports, um, including the likes of cycling and distance running, and because these are really the the sports where hydration status would be of most concern, I would say, and especially if they're carried out in, in the heat, and that does tend to happen quite often. Now, it is generally accepted that the intake of fluids during endurance exercise is insufficient, actually, to keep up with the pace of sweat loss occurring. Um, so that is a generally accepted concept. And, and that sort of results in this hypohydration accumulating throughout whatever event it is. But it's also been suggested that when um, training frequently and at um um, and the frequent the, the training frequently, then recovery periods, which are quite often um, tend to be a much shorter. So, so looking at that recovery period afterwards, there is tends to be less time to rehydrate. So during during they they could possibly be um, low in in fluids afterwards the rehydration might be insufficient. And then additionally, if insufficient um, fluids have been taken on board um, before training, then again, that's accumulative. So you can see how overt dehydration really could quite easily occur over a short period of time, actually. Mm. And, um, and, and, it could be it could be seen as sort of involuntary dehydration. I don't think people are intentionally try, um, sort of not drinking, but it's it's unintentional, so it's involuntary, but occurring because of the the degree of training that they're doing. Yeah, that's a really interesting um, concept to think about, isn't it? Yeah. That you know, you you train hard, you have a short recovery period. You try to rehydrate, but you may be not rehydrating adequately. And then yeah. that takes you into that that situation that you're unaware of. Um, mm. So so we've Karen, we've established what hypohydration is, potent, why it's potentially concerning endurance supports. Um, but I suppose the question that springs to mind for me is uh, why is it such a big concern and how is it affecting the body? Mm. Mm. So I suppose to uh, just sort of thinking out loud to answer that question, um, thinking about the, the normal fluid regulation in the body first, that might sort of give us a, a an angle on it. So, you know, we've got to think about water being the most abundant molecule in the body, and that makes up something between 45% and 70% of body mass. Um, but despite that, it's something that's very tightly regulated with daily variations needing to be within a one percent of body mass only so you know it's a very tightly regulated uh, system that that the body operates and and if we have variations outside that normal limit that can change in water concentration within the kidneys which is the the renal system and that's something that would would trigger uh, thirst or we'd experience thirst and that would encourage us to take on more fluids um, so that's like a normal sort of response, would you say, Karen? Yeah, exactly, Aileen. And we also naturally lose water on, on a daily basis through our urine, sweating, breathing, also in feces and through the skin. But generally, we replenish this via the fluids that we drink, the foods that we eat as well, because we will get um, some fluids from our fruit and vegetables, but also from um, water molecule, molecules that are produced as a byproduct 
product of the metabolic processes that are occurring, again, naturally within the body. Um, and so this would be classed as our, our water pool or our water reservoir. And this will fluctuate um, throughout the day, again, depending on what we eat or drink and also how much we are sweating or going to the toilet, etc., which is okay as long as it stays within that tight um the tight boundaries or regulations as you were speaking about Aileen but when we then take the endurance exercise into that equation this is when we need to be more mindful of our fluid intake so and and studies have found that some athletes can lose as much as three to four liters of water per hour through sweat and that to me is a phenomenal amount Mm. Um, But on saying that, the average is more like one to two litres per hour, uh, which, again, I still think is is quite a lot. But but it is very, very individual. It will depend on so many different factors, whether um, you're going to lose that amount per hour or not. Mm, so, So that's really highlighting how sweat loss during exercise creates challenges to the body fluid sort of status quo um, and especially from endurance exercise or or exercise performed in hot and humid climates so I suppose going back to my original question what would be the effects to our body if the water pool this water reservoir that you talked about Karen Mm -hmm. went outside of those tightly regulated normal boundaries Yeah, and I think a point to add here is that that outside the water pool could be overhydration, like you spoke about in the beginning, Aileen, that's what you felt that you used to do. So so, um, it could be about overhydration as well as underhydration and dehydration. But at the moment, we're really discussing that underhydration, that hypohydration. So thinking about the presenting symptoms, sort of fairly severe dehydration could result in reduced brain flow um, and heat um, heat syncope, which is a medical term really for fainting. I haven't heard of that term before, but I like it, so I thought I would use it. Um, And and fainting is thought to um, really occur as a result of what is known as uh, venous pooling. Now, this is when um, the flow of blood from the limbs going back up to the heart is really compromised, and that that causes the blood to gather in the limbs, and that that's called. Um, like I say, this venous pooling. And also heat exhaustion is another effect of, of se- severe hypohydration. And I have to say that, Aileen, these are acute reactions to, to dehydration. So this is maybe what you might see um, a, a really um, good athlete experiencing. Or mind you, somebody who's been running for six, seven hours might experience at the end of an event if they haven't been hydrating adequately. Yeah, and I often, you know, you, as you said earlier, sometimes you see people at the end of races or even during races who look like they are experienced and fit athletes and something goes wrong. And it might be that that's the type of thing that's happening because it's such a, um, a crucial um, part of the body system. And, you know, a little bit of change can cause you know, really serious outcomes. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, as you say, that that all sounds quite serious and very um, of serious outcomes of, of poor hydration. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, are, are there any less ser- serious ones that um, our listeners could observe for that would suggest they need to uh, consider their hydration status? Yeah, absolutely, Aileen. And I, I think the, one of the key ones would be feeling thirsty. So listen listen to that thirst response. And if you're feeling thirsty, drink. Um, also, if they're experiencing or noticing dark yellow or strong smelling urine, which is, is showing that it's really concentrated and needs to be diluted. So um, so encouraging them to, to drink. Also, if they're feeling um, dizzy or lightheaded, clearly there's lots of different reasons for these symptoms. Terms, but um, dehydration or underhydration could be one of them. And feeling tired, having dry mouth, lips and eyes could be um, a telltale sign. 
And also, you know, speaking about strong urine, strong urine, but lack of urination. So if you're going, say, fewer than than maybe four times a day, that could be indicative of underhydration. Yeah, and uh, you know, building on what you were saying there about those symptoms, Karen, um, these kinds of symptoms could progress um, into other things that you might start to notice. You know, things like poor concentration, short-term memory, excessive thirst, uh, low blood pressure. You you already mentioned the color of the urine, but maybe it's even darker than that yellow. It could be sort of a a dark brown color almost and also lack of sweating so you know if you're not sweating that's another sign um, and it would really be important to seek medical advice if you're experiencing uh, these symptoms um, because you know there might be something that needs investigating um, so just before we move on let's just have a quick summary so we, we've established that the science has been unable to conclude the true impact of hydration status on exercise performance. And that's principally due to the the limitations of the study methods that you mentioned, Karen. Um, But also, um, you know, there's hope that this is going to be addressed in the future um, and we'll be able to get some more robust conclusions from the research. Um, There's lots of information out there, you know, significant amount of research studies um, that that are useful in in including the signs and symptoms to observe um, and also thinking about the acute uh, reactions that we might um, have uh, from severe dehydration. So I think it's all about taking on board all of the, the wider scope of information and then trying to apply that to to our own situation um so karen um let's sort of talk a little bit more about the impact of hydration status on performance what what can you tell us about that yeah so when um when we are dehydrated um there's a condition called hypertonic hypervolemia occurs you can tell i love all these words (laughs) can't you Um, but but this is also known um, as intracellular, intracellular hypohydration. So basically, um, when water excretion from the body, for example, during sweating, exceeds that of the sodium excretion, and that then in turn results in um, sort of the, the, that those sodium um, concentrations becoming increased in the fluids outside of the cells, and this is known as hyper natremia so increased um sodium outside of cells and this encourages the water within the cells to then move out into that extracellular space so that's what's happening in in sort of a dehydrated state Mm. so i assume that this um intracellular hyperhydration is the thing that stimulates the kidneys to encourage water reabsorption um that's what we were talking about earlier karen yeah yeah, absolutely. So it's 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 encouraging the kidneys to 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 keep reserve the 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 water because the body needs it. Hence, why when speaking about are you going to the toilet enough if it's less than four times a day, it's because the kidneys are drawing that 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 the fluid, the water, back up into the body because it desperately needs it. Mm. Um, and also that process will stimulate the thirst response that we mentioned earlier as well, and it. It's this intracellular dehydration that is really thought to drive the impaired exercise performance. So from a a physiological perspective, um, this dehydrated state is thought to sort of reduce muscle function, also reduce the the blood flow to the brain. So um, and this is thought to potentially uh, lower mood, therefore mo- motivation for for a running. It's also um, thought to increase the body temperature, increase heart rate, and and all of those then um, ultimately increasing the cardio the, the strain on the cardiovascular system, and also increasing the breakdown of glycogen into glucose. So that's known as glycogenolysis. Now it's thought likely that. It is the combination of these factors, so not one in particular, but a combination of these factors that leads to an increase in the perception of effort at a, at a certain intensity. And that's what's compromising performance. And clearly exercising in a hot environment 
may cause or it may exacerbate these symptoms. But also, um, a hot environment could affect performance independently of what I've just spoken about or alongside the the dehydration. So what I'm thinking about here is um, potentially um, in hot weather, clearly we have um, hot skin, which leads to peripheral vasodilation, so dilation of those um, blood vessels close to the surface, the skin surface. Now, this vasodilation competes for blood flow demands, therefore affecting working muscles. So, um, so it's going to lead to, to that reduced muscle function, but ultimately increase the cardiovascular strain as well. So really, really interesting, I think. Yeah, it is really interesting. And I, I guess most people won't even think about all these factors and how it impacts on their performance and, and well-being. Um, you know, there's a lot going on there. We just think about being thirsty and, you know, the, the overall thing about dehydration without really thinking about the knock-on effect it has mm-hmm. throughout the body. Um, so um, we did talk about the effects of dehydration in episode five that we mentioned earlier. And, um, uh, in that episode, we, we talked about the detrimental effects of performance that, that seem to occur when an, an individual is dehydrated um, more than 2%. Uh, would you say that that value is the same or has that changed in, in recent research, Karen? Yeah, that's a, that's a good point to raise, actually, Alien. And, and I would say probably the jury is out on this, um, mainly because some studies have shown that performance is impaired, whilst others have shown that it isn't, which mm-hmm. is quite often what happens in, in research. Um, but what does appear to have been determined is that um, dehydration of more than 5% does affect concentration. So those those mind symptoms that you were speaking about, Aileen, more than 10% dehydration um, can lead to severe muscle spasms and potentially delirium as well. And then more than 15% dehydration can lead to circulatory failure and ultimately death. So, so um, you know, severe dehydration could be fatal but I think most of us know that that hydration is really really important for for health and for living yeah yeah but it just shows you how how it sort of progresses depending Mm -hmm. on the level of dehydration so I mean from all of this Karen obviously we're we're saying that maintaining good hydration levels is is very important because it would be so easy to slip into a dehydrated state unintentionally as you as you said um but especially if you've got a poor thirst response yeah absolutely alien and interestingly um another area um, of hydration currently being researched is um, drinking to thirst versus planned drinking because some scientists argue that thirst rather than hyperhydration may be the limiting factor in performance. So what so what does that mean, Karen? So if we if we naturally don't feel thirsty, is that a limiting factor? I mean, I'm very much a planned water drinker. You know, I'm always concerned that I might get dehydrated or or I won't be near water if I need it. So it's a big part of my sort of um mental preparation wherever I'm going to make sure that there's water available. Yeah, absolutely, Alien. And I'm I'm a planned drinker as well. But but what the science is suggesting is that if we have a poor thirst response or potentially we ignore our thirst response, be that consciously or subconsciously. And I say consciously because um some some runners will consciously put themselves into a dehydrated state, especially in endurance running, um, because they're going to be lighter towards the end of a race. Therefore, it's going to be easier for them to keep going. Does that make sense? So some people will consciously put themselves into a dehydrated state. So so the, the, the science is suggesting that, you know, if we... If we do ignore our thirst response, be it consciously or subconsciously, then maybe this is the limiting factor. But but like I said at the beginning, Eileen, this is an ever-evolving topic. Um, and I think that goes for sports nutrition in general and nutrition, actually, in general, really. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, I, I've never known anybody that's done it to reduce their, their weight, but I do know people who 
choose not to drink because it's like I don't have to stop at a water stop. I can, you know, and, and they, they they sort of, um, their their attitude to it is a bit of bravado. Oh, no, I don't need water. Mm-hmm. Um, but I always think when I see people collapsing along the side of the road, that is why I do not ever want to be in that situation. So I think it's really, it's really important. Um, and as you say, yeah, the, the, the topic of, well, the general topic of, uh, sports nutrition is always evolving and, and that's why it's important to keep reading and keep up to date with the literature um, and you know from a nutritional therapist point of view we're always um, wanting to work from an evidence-based perspective so um, it's interesting to know what's happening out there um, but Karen before before we move on um, I just wondered if you feel there are any female factors that we should be considering regarding hydration status yeah, actually, I think, Aileen, to my my knowledge, certainly, I think um, there aren't really any differences in effects of dehydration be- between women women and men. I certainly haven't read any research that suggests that. Um, but then there are, I haven't... Um, uh, I haven't found any studies that um, that look at women compared to men, and um, and I think the few female only studies carried out show similar results to to men. Mm-hmm. I think in general, well, I know in general that women have a lower body water percentage than men, and this is thought to be due to the fact that that we overall have more tissue than men. Yeah. Um, and the the ideal water percentage that's acceptable for adult women tends to fluctuate between 45 and 60 percent, whilst the ideal percentage for adult men will be between 50 and 65 percent of the body mass. So, um, yeah. And also a, a point of interest, actually, is that male athletes um body water percentage is thought to be as high as 60 to 70 percent of body mass so really high in elite athletes Mm, yeah I mean just thinking about the the female angle Karen recently I was I was listening to an interview with Sophie Power who's uh, an ultra runner and she's most famously known for breastfeeding while she uh, while she was um, doing a a big run and I can't remember which run it was now um, mm-hmm. but it, there was a lot of publicity around it because um, somebody took a photograph and it went viral so she has been interviewed a, a lot and mm-hmm. um, but the, the part of the interview that sparked interest for me was when she um, Sophie talked about hydration and it was during um, a, a run that she did in Cambodia which was you know a, an uber ultra runner 220k run on the ancient Khmer path um, as I say in Cambodia uh, and, w- and what she uh, said happened to her was that she obviously was in a very hot environment and she drank too much water and that had a serious effect on her sodium levels which you were mentioning earlier and and she really experienced a very serious incident and she collapsed and fell into a coma and had to be airlifted out of the the jungle so really really extreme um she felt because she's so fit and healthy that that was the reason that she survived this sort of life-threatening event. but it And it's a really extreme example, but I, I just thought it really illustrates how much care we have to take. Mm-hmm. And, um, and what Sophie was pointing out, um, which was the thing that, you know, piqued my interest was she was talking about the the differences between men and women. And she was saying that we really need to take account of our physical size and our sweat rate when assessing how much water we drink during races. Um, and that she felt that the general advice that one size fits all just doesn't work. Um, and that, you know, most women are smaller than men. So we do have different requirements. And she was saying that, you know, often in these events, there are, um, you know, guidelines about what you should be eating and drinking, but they didn't def- differentiate between um, men and women. And, and it was a, a now that she's experienced that as a real area of interest for her um, to to um, investigate that more really and to, mm. to spread the word, I suppose, that this is serious. And, you, you know, particularly when you are doing these amazingly uh, tough events, um, that you, you have to be super careful. 
Yeah, absolutely. And um, first of all, I'm in awe of her doing 220k and also doing an endurance run while she's whilst pregnant. So I take my hat off to her. But that is a really severe reaction um, and situation for her life threatening situation. And and I think, yes, what she's saying, it does highlight and we've mentioned before that there are just not enough studies into sort of female female athletes it's it's still mostly on men is it is being addressed but we're not there yet so hopefully in the future we will have much more information um, about the differences between male and female athletes. But I think also this story highlights how overhydration can be as detrimental to health as underhydration, like we were speaking about earlier, because electrolyte balance is really important. And I do think that a future episode dealing could be dedicated to this topic. Would you agree? Yeah, yeah, I think um, it's a it's a a skill to learn, isn't it? And to understand more about. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, Aileen. So I'm just going to um, quickly summarise before we move on. So we've now established that the performance limiting effects of hydration is principally as a result of this intracellular hypohydration that could be caused by excessive sweating. Um, This could then potentially lead to symptoms including reduced muscle function, increased body temperature, Um, an increased cardiovascular strain, just to name a few. And it appears to be that it's this interplay of these effects that results in the poor exercise performance. So, um, so, what can we do to minimise um, the chances of this occurring to us before our running training? Well, we will discuss that in a minute um, as the last part of this episode. But um, first of all, Aileen, I'm just going to hand back to, to you for a quick advert break. OK, so so this is the part of the episode where Karen and I just take a minute to let you know about what services we offer um, outside of the podcast. Um, so about 18 months ago, Karen and I created Easy Nutrition for Healthy Runners, which is a, a program uh, to help give you access to nutrition without having to invest in uh, one-to-one consultations. Um, so it's a, a short and sweet video program and you can complete it in 30 minutes a day over two weeks or you can take as long as you need to. So if you prefer to um, take your time uh, or even go back and watch the videos uh, later, they're all there for you. So we, we talk about everyday nutrition as being the foundation upon which to build sports-specific nutrition. Uh, and within the program, we cover hydration. Uh, we talk about what to do pre, during and post training, as well as um, giving you help about putting hydration into practice. So um, it's sort of taking the the information that we're sharing with you today and uh, putting it into practical steps. Um, And I always like to point out that the the program's more than just a recorded program because there is an opportunity uh, for you to ask questions. Um, So if if you need an answer to a question or a tip for your food plan, you know, we're both here, um, you know, help is on hand uh, and you're able to um, interact with us um, by email or message and, and we'll get back to you. Um, you also get invitations to live Q&As, which are group sessions. And um, if you've got a particular scenario uh, that you want to put to us, we'll, we'll help um, put things together for you and, and you can get some personalised input on your uh, running nutrition plan um, through that forum. Um, so it's it's great because you get nutritional expertise from us without having to invest in a one-to-one. So if you've been listening today and thinking that you'd really like to nail your hydration this year, maybe you've never considered that there was an issue with your hydration and you'd like to optimize it so that it, you're ensuring it's not a limiting factor Um, this would be a really helpful uh, way of starting. So if you're interested, you can find all about uh, the program at our website, uh, runnershealthhub.com. Just look at the top menu bar, look at online program, uh, and you'll find everything you need to know about the program there. And if you've got any questions, just um, email us at hello at runnershealthhub.com. 
Great. Thanks very much, Aileen. Okay, so let's now move on and see what you can do to maintain appropriate hydration for your running um, to help prevent any of these detrimental effects of hypohydration that we've just spoken about. So I think the first thing that I would just like to stress is that how much fluid you need on a daily basis will vary from person to person. And, And for you as an individual as well, from day to day, it will depend on the degree of training you're doing Um, and your your, um, individual needs will depend on lots of different factors a bit like what you were saying regarding that interview with Sophie Aileen there are so many different factors that need to be taken into consideration including gender and also age um, sweat rate as Sophie was speaking about as well but also what you're wearing so your running attire will will um, have an effect on how hydrated or dehydrated you become again linking that back to to the sweat rate Eileen have you if you got any factors that you would add to my list yeah just I suppose recapping on some of the things that you've mentioned earlier Karen so things like the frequency of urination uh, what weight you are um, and you know I suppose your fat and muscle mass uh, ratio will have an effect on your body water uh, um, total body water percentage, uh, metabolic efficiency. Um, so remember, the metabolic process creates water molecules as a byproduct, and also um, genetics will will play a part too. Um, so I, I think you know we we talked earlier. We asked the question, "What can you do?" So um, I think remembering that we said that hydration is thought to be a limiting factor in performance. Um, but many athletes, including runners, could slip into that hypohydrated state quite easily um, in this involuntary dehydration. Um, you know, if you remember back to that that point we made about, um, you know, have you are you able to rehydrate before you go out and exercise again? Um, and and also, I think the the most effective change that you could make is just to be really mindful about how much water and and other fluids you drink on a daily basis. So it's a bit like that concept that we always talk about, about everyday nutrition. Well, there's everyday hydration as well. So aiming for one and a half to two liters every day, but adapting and, and increasing it on days when you are training would really be recommended. Yeah, absolutely. And also earlier, we spoke about how easy it would be not to take on um, on board sufficient fluids before, during and after training. So really being mindful of fluid intake around your training, as well as everyday um, hydration. So now when thinking about drinking to thirst versus planned drinking um like i said earlier i am like you really very much a plan i'm in the planned drinking camp um because i think it would be really easy to ignore the thirst response um and and also some people um do do have um um uh what am i trying to say here so so uh, some people do not um, have a highly sensitive thirst response. So some people aren't sensitive to thirst. Some people may ignore it, but some people just don't have that sensitivity to thirst. So when I'm thinking about my hydration, um, I always um, have some water roughly one to two hours before an endurance run. And then I'll have some again um, within 30 minutes of starting my running. So this is what I do for my for planning my intake. And then I always take water with me on a long run or I might um, think about what route I'm going to take to ensure that I've got access to water en route. Um, And I drink water immediately when I get home after a long run and continue to drink it regularly throughout the day because I don't ever want to get to that place that I was um, when I was I was under hydrated because I have to say they weren't severe symptoms but they were really uncomfortable symptoms so I'm really conscious of of my hydration status now and also on really long runs um, I'll use a camelback because it means that I can carry quite a lot of water but it still means that I'm hands-free so that really works for me and 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 just remember to I would say to everybody just to practice 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 during training so that 
when you do get to to race day when they come back um you you have got your hydration sorted out again a bit like your nutrition you want to practice nutrition and we speak about that a lot practicing nutrition and training it's the same with your hydration as well and um and there may be times when you require the electrolyte supplementation um but that is a discussion that we'll wait for for another episode um Aileen, do you have any tips on on how to prevent dehydration occurring anything else you would add yeah, well, I mean, I mentioned earlier about this um, being mindful about everyday hydration status, and I think there's several ways you could think about um, introducing introducing sort of additional fluid intake. So one of the things would be have a glass of water by your bed. So taking a few sips before you go to sleep, and then drink some as soon as you awaken. So I think that's really important if you're an early morning runner, um, you know, because you might not have time to drink one to two hours before a run um so if you if you're well hydrated overnight and then you have a drink before you go out running that's going to help um you know having some water before you leave the house whenever whether whether it's going running walking to work just get into that habit you know have a glass of water before you leave um leaving water glasses or bottles of water or a jug of water in strategic places around the house or the office as a reminder to to drink frequently um often people you know if you're in a habit of not doing something a good thing to do would be to put a reminder on your phone or your fitbit to um, remind you to drink you know whether it's every 15 minutes or every 30 minutes whatever it works for you just do something as a prompt um, there are apps available as well that you could log you know your glasses of water which um, again is another way of just seeing over the course of a day what you're taking um, remember that you you can have herbal teas and non-caffeinated teas and that would count towards your daily fluid intake um, so you could add that up with with water but remember that caffeinated and sweet fizzy drinks don't so they can't be counted in into your fluid intake uh, and also you know you made a point right at the beginning Karen about getting um, fluids from fruit and vegetables so that's another great reason just to remember to include that rainbow of uh, colorful uh, fruit and vegetables into your, your daily food plan uh, and remember we're always aiming for you know eight to ten portions a day would be fantastic yeah and what I was just going to add here actually Aileen is that that it is possible to assess your sweat rate so that um your 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 hydration protocol protocol can be more specific and more personalized now and and I would just say if this is something that anybody would like to know more about then then do contact Aileen and myself and we we can share some information about this I won't go into it here because it's quite detailed um but there are ways of of working out quite specifically what your sweat rate is. But as a very easy way of monitoring your hydration status, I would say just regularly check the colour of your urine, like we were speaking about Aileen earlier, um, depending on the colour of the urine. It will be an indicator of how hydrated or um, dehydrated you are. And you would want it to to be a straw-like colour, and that would suggest that you're appropriately hydrated so just a little add-on great okay so so we're we're coming um towards the the end of the episode now and hopefully we've given everyone some tips on how to maintain your hydration status and that you'll find those tips useful um it's really about being mindful about your everyday fluid intake as well as the fluid intake for your run training um so karen just before we go could you take us through the key takeaways for today's episode yeah, sure. So I think my key takeaways um, from today are, um, as we've said, hydration is thought to be a limiting factor in exercise performance. So could make the difference really between you winning or losing in reaching your your goals, your, your own running goals. The current research on hydration status is conflicting regarding how dehydrated an individual needs to be to be for performance to to be impaired 
um, my recommendation would always be to remain you hydrated, so appropriately hydrated on a day-to-day basis. Ensure you drink before, during and after training so that you don't go into your next training session already in a hypohydrated state. Um, Remember that although the degree of hydration linked to performance effects is uncertain, it is known that more than 5% dehydration can cause cognitive dysfunction and as much as 15% could lead to circulatory circulatory (laughs) failure and death but but that is extreme I have to say but be on the lookout for um, symptoms that may suggest that you're poorly hydrated including feeling thirsty the dark yellow or smelly urine feeling dizzy or lightheaded but but clearly there are many others. This is just an idea. Um, there are many factors that will determine how much fluid you require on a daily basis. Remember, a one size doesn't fit all. And finally, plan your fluid intake for your training and your everyday hydration using our tips as your guide to ensure that hydration does not become the limiting factor in your running performance. Great. Thank you, Karen. That's uh, great food for thought to end on, or should I say fluid for thought. Um, (laughs) So anyway, thanks. Uh, Another great conversation. Lots to think about there. And remember, everyone, don't let nutrition or hydration be the limiting factor in your running performance. Well, this brings us to the end of another episode of She Runs, Eats, Performs, brought to you by Runners Health Hub, helping female runners to be fitter, faster and stronger. We really hope you've enjoyed listening and you'll join us again soon. In the meantime, we'd be so grateful if you check us out on iTunes and leave a review. And once again, thanks for listening and do let us know if there are any topics you'd like us to cover in future episodes. Bye for now. We'd like to introduce you to our show sponsor, Amazing Jane Activewear for Women's Changing Bodies, recommended as best leggings for running by Women's Fitness Magazine. We think they have everything a female runner needs. First of all, they are high compression to support your legs and bum. They have a deep waistband so they stay up and they don't move about when you run. There's a handy left pocket for your phone and a zip pocket on the waistband which is great for your cards or a key. They also have a hidden tracker pocket for storing a GPS tracking device, and this is a unique safety feature. All Amazing Jane designs, including tanks and tops, are cut to skim, not cling, giving you confidence to look and feel great and focus on performance. Karen and I have been trialing wearing their range for a few months, and we can happily recommend them. So if you'd like to try Amazing Jane Activewear, please use our listeners' special discount code RHH10 for 10% off all purchases at amazingjane.com. Amazing Jane ship around the world, so please check their website for details. Thanks again to Amazing Jane Activewear for being our show sponsor and for sharing discount code RHH10 for 10% off all purchases.